Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 47 of Yoga Land. I have such a treat for you today. My husband, Jason Crandall, is going to be the one doing the interview. He interviews Sebastian Brosch, who is a yoga teacher. Sebastian's based in Oslo, Norway. He grew up in northern Sweden, and he is also a two-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion. So this guy is fierce. Sebastian is also really passionate about yoga as a complement to Brazilian jiu-jitsu training, and he started a subscription site for this very niche. It's called Yoga for BJJ and has yoga videos specifically geared toward improving your jiu-jitsu skills. So Jason gets into Sebastian's story, and it's it's pretty shocking to hear that before Sebastian discovered yoga, he was so injured, he had a hard time working and, and walking and sleeping and all of those horrible things that come with, with chronic pain. And he was young. It's fun listening to them. It's fun getting into the male yoga psyche. They talk about the difference between overt competition in sports versus kind of the hidden competition that can happen in yoga. They talk about ego and how, I'm sure as many of you know, martial arts addresses the ego just as plainly and clearly as as yoga does. So there are a lot of compliments. It's also just great to hear that Sebastian has developed this program this training program that helps so many people and helps introduce so many men to yoga practice. Before we get to the interview, I want to just make the quick announcement that Jason, he has a few spots left in a 100 hour teacher training module this summer in San Francisco at Love Story Yoga. The dates are July 10th through the 22nd. You can go to our website, jasonyoga.com slash schedule for more details. And now on to the interview. This is the first podcast that I've hosted. You know, Yoga Land is Andrea, my wife's project. But there's been something that I've been wanting to do for a long period of time, which is to talk to a couple of men that I know who are yoga teachers and who teach primarily men. And so I'm having a conversation today with one of my students who has completed a couple modules of mine in London. And also this person, Sebastian, is also largely the reason or the final inspiration why I got back to training in another martial art. So for the last almost two years, I've been going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes and and trying to understand and work with that discipline as a complement to my yoga. So Sebastian, you're someone that I've wanted to talk with officially for quite a while. And essentially what I want to do on this podcast is show a case study. I think for most people, we are aware that the majority of our students in most scenarios are women, but for Sebastian, it's really different. Sebastian, you're a guy, and the majority of your students are guys. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about this and and figure this out. So first, a, a couple things about you, Sebastian. So Sebastian, your entry to yoga was through martial arts. So can you just quickly, simply tell us a little bit about your background in martial arts, when you started training, what disciplines you started training in? So we have a little bit of a context why you're a guy who's mainly teaching guys, because that's pretty rare. Sure. The one minute variation. Thanks for having me on the podcast, by the way. Absolutely. Really nice. 
I started judo when I was really young, and I did judo until I was 22. And judo is a really tough martial art, so you get your fair share of injuries and pains and aches. So when I found that there was something called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which was much more technical and much softer than judo, I made the switch almost instantly. So Jiu-Jitsu is, there is no striking, no hitting, punching, kicking. There is just grappling um, like you would do with your sibling when you're trying to figure out which one is the strongest. And if you, if you would do that for a long enough period of time, you would evolve into actual Jiu-Jitsu. So that's right. what I'm, I do now. Even jiu-jitsu, even though it's, uh, it's, jiu-jitsu means the gentle arc in Japanese, but it's, it's far from true when you're at a competitive level. It, my experience is that it's not particularly gentle. Because <laughs> we do live training, it, because we do stuff that actually works in a live situation, like a, a real scenario. So you're fighting someone who is fighting back. You get uh, uh, injuries in jiu-jitsu as well when you do it full-time, and I was at a point where I had a degenerated disc in my lower back, which was really bugging me outside of training. When I was warm and training, it was fine. Uh, not really fine, but I could train. But outside of training, I was at one point, I was so stiff in my hips and my lower back that I couldn't even take on my socks without taking extreme measures to get the socks on yeah. my feet. And that was in your early 20s? That was when I was 25, 26, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's too early to to have that degree of pain. I mean, it's not too early yeah. to have that degree of pain, but when you're that age and you have that degree of pain, you start to really take seriously the long-term physicality of your body and what do you need to do in order to rectify this discomfort. Yeah, when, I, when I'm 26 and I look at 70, 80-year-old people who can do gymnastics and uh, and are just so comfortable in their own skin at that point i realized that i was doing something wrong right so let me take you back i'm not going to stay with it too long but when you say you started training really young in judo how young were you and then what was the frequency of your training how many classes per week and for how long so I started when I was seven. I had a mild case of, uh, I would say mild, but my parents would probably say severe case of, uh, of uh, not being able to sit still. Yeah. I started judo when I was seven. I did judo for twice to three times a week until I became 16. And from 16 and on, I trained five to eight times a week. Five to eight times a week. And you were competing pretty consistently. Absolutely. Yeah. I did most of my comp competing when I was 16 to 19. I maybe 20, 30 tournaments a year. 20 to 30 tournaments a lot a year. Yeah. And then you started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is, which is a, an intense discipline, but a little bit more forgiving for the body than Judo when you were 22. Yes, exactly. And then a few years later, you were dealing with physical pain. You were dealing with a lot of disdegeneration and discomfort. So the day-to-day -day physicality of your life was impacted by the sport that you had been doing. I couldn't really. I was working as a kitchen assistant, cutting vegetables and so on. And I started out full-time, and then I just went gradually went down to one working day a week because bending over, I'm, I was a little bit taller than the working bench I was dealt, and the pain was, I was so stiff, and I had so much pain that I just quit working at that point. Okay. 
And so you really then you had two things to me that that sort of jump out, which is one in day to day life, you had a lot of pain. You were dealing with discomfort and dysfunctionality. And then two, obviously, this pain was starting to diminish your skill set as a fighter, or it was starting to tell you that you had a shelf life, that this physical sport that you were working with, if you didn't have physical healing was coming maybe to an end or your excellence because you, you're being humble with this, but you but you have a pretty storied background when it comes to competition winning. So your ability to continue in that discipline was that window was closing. I was always seeing myself continuing training until I was uh, like retired 60, 70 years old. But with this pain, it was slowly creeping up on me that my career might be over within five to 10 years if this gets any worse. And that was completely devastating because it was the only real skill that I was proud of and that I could identify mm. myself with at age. And when that was almost being taken away from me due to an injury, it was really crushing mentally to start thinking uh, about about quitting. This to me is in a lot of ways similar to my background with hockey. And so I identify and totally understand that one of the difficulties that it, it can be women, but but often the case is men, and, and we're talking about men in this situation, is that we have this sport or we have this access to our physicality and our identity becomes very wrapped up in it. And then late teens, early 20s, we start to burn out and we start to deal with the injuries that were created through that physical discipline. And it's not only a physical discomfort, but it's a psycho-emotional loss because that's our identity. That's what we've engaged with. That's where we've defined our sense of worth. That's where we feel strong and confident and motivated and able-bodied. And so the physical pain in some ways, at least for me with the injuries that I have, because I have a similar physical injury background and access to yoga, in some ways, the physical pain is less scary than this psycho-emotional feeling of loss of, oh, I can't do this anymore, then who am I in this situation? Uh, jiu hurts a lot, as you know. When someone puts 200 pounds of weight on top of your ribs, it, it hurts. And it hurts probably more then and there than your actual knee injury or your lower back uh, sure. disc pop. But like you said, it's the, it's the knowing that this is not going away anytime soon. If you get punched on the face in the face by mistake, it's just there for a brief second. But it's this nagging long-term chronic things that really gets to you. That's right. So then let's make the leap to yoga. So obviously you are in a vulnerable position. You are in a physically vulnerable situation. You are in a psycho-emotionally vulnerable situation because this thing that you loved and you identified with and you really excelled at was compromised. So then tell me you're in this relatively vulnerable state and you make a leap to yoga. How did that leap come about? In the absolute best way possible. <laughs> I was just glancing into uh, all girls jiu-jitsu class and I saw this new girl teaching the warm-ups, a white belt teaching the warm-ups. And she was moving like a panther, like she was so mm -hmm. graceful. I was in the middle of competition season, so I, I really tried to look away because I <laughs> didn't want to. But 
I bumped into her after class, and I'm like, I couldn't resist. Like, I'm like, that was a really cool warm up. I really like that, that. That was cool. It was different than anything else I saw. And she immediately said, Yeah, I, there is a workshop on Saturday, and you, I want to invite you to come. She said a, a yoga workshop, or was it an acro workshop? No, that was a yoga workshop with a teacher from America who was invited. Who was it? That was Cameron Shane. Oh, okay, okay. And of course, I was blown away by her, and I was lucky enough to one day marry her later on. Nice. But from that workshop, it, I was in tears after the workshop because that's when I really realized how shitty my body was. Like, I couldn't do a leap from a squat. I couldn't even jump up five inches off the ground because my, my lower back, I, like, I realized I was an old man at age 26. You know, I, I had the exact same experience with, and I, I think a lot of people do, you know, and this is important to understand for a lot of people, which is, I think in so many situations, we idealize this idea of yoga, that we go to yoga and it feels good, it feels awesome, we feel free, we start to feel balanced. But, you know, for a lot of us, the reality is that early on, yoga feels turbulent. Early on in our yoga practice, we come to realize our obstacles, we come to realize our injuries, we come to realize, I know for me, one of the first thing I realized that I had no idea about was how reactionary my mind was and how easy to frustration my mind was. So you went to yoga and you experienced your limitation. You actually really experienced the precarious situation that your body was in. Yeah, for a yoga beginner, like if, you're, if your starting point is where the same as where I started, it's worse than getting kicked in the face because the, the reality shake is so strong. Yeah. Like you realize that, oh, this will take a lot of work and sacrifice to actually get past because I, I was imagining that it wasn't at all this bad. So now I realized I have to start five miles behind from where I thought I was. And that's, that's a bit painful for a beginner. Uh, we need another moment of honesty here, which is you went to that first workshop, you went with uh, Stina, mm. who you noticed in class because of her movement, not because how she pretty what how pretty she was, right? You noticed her you noticed her early yoga skills, and that was it, right? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> right? Yes. And then you went to this first workshop, you realized your physical limitations and, and sort of what shape you were in or the degree of injuries you had. So why did you stick it out a little bit? Was there something early on in yoga where you felt like, why did you not run? Like oftentimes when we're presented with our injuries, we're, our resistance, our limitations, I think especially as guys, we duck and run. We go back to that place of familiarity. So what got you coming back to that second class or that third class? What fully engaged you? Uh, her, Stina. <laughs> I realized from that first moment that this is a woman I didn't know existed. Mm. I was resisting. I was resisting a lot because I realized I had to do something, but that was just the first realization. Then I had several epiphanies in front of me because of course, my ego was huge and I didn't even know about it. I was just resisting all the way. I was resisting all the tips she gave me because uh, I knew how to do stuff. So I was the worst student ever. You uh, cut out I just a little bit there. So your ego was so big that you were resisting the tips that she was giving you because you felt like you already knew. 
Yeah, because I was the only one. I was so identif- identified with my pain. So whatever tips she came with, I, I can't do that because this hurts in this in this way. And I was a shitty student, absolutely. Can you search back to figuring out when did it become not just about this woman that you were interested in? When did it become about yoga? When was it like, what did you learn or what did you experience where you started to realize like this art, this discipline, this, this set of teachings of yoga was a value in and of itself, not just an opportunity to be with this woman that you were falling for. I remember it very clearly. It was after a training late at night at the jiu-jitsu studio and I was struggling with my flat lower back. Like I had no, wasn't able to forward fold at all. My lower back was completely stiff and Stina just threw out a suggestion. She's like, try this, sit on your butt, grab your thighs with your arms and just start rolling up and down. And it wasn't rolling, it was just clunk like a box up and down. Uh But after maybe 20, 30 uh, repetitions, I could notice it was so obvious because a rolling motion is so clearly noticeable compared to like a clunking motion. So after five minutes of rolling, I, for the first time in years, I could feel my lower back giving and relaxing and I could actually start rolling upside mm. down. And that was a epiphany that I could roll on my spine up and down again. It was huge. That's enormous. So then that first thing that really gave you the yoga hook or where you start to you started to feel that there was a breakthrough in the in the yoga practice was its own body of work that you wanted to develop was it was a physical access point. It gave you range and it gave you motion in the spine where you had been locked up. And it felt so damn good as well. Yes. It felt good for 10, 15 minutes afterwards. I felt free that I hadn't, uh, more free than I hadn't been in years. Yeah. You know from from me training in jujitsu that I love it. Like I really, really, really love it. And it satisfies a lot of things that weren't satisfied in me. But it also helps me appreciate my yoga practice even more because I'm reminded how good yoga actually feels in comparison to how terrible jujitsu actually feels. I mean, jujitsu feels wonderful in a way, but but when I go back to my yoga practice, which I do every day, it reminds me like now I have this counterpoint. I have this other physical discipline that is a counterpoint and it's complementary, obviously, but it's a counterpoint to my yoga, which helps me appreciate how good my yoga practice feels. I completely agree. But when I when I teach on my website, I try to speak in as simple terms as possible because my English is not very high level so for me to be able to find the words quickly i have to dump it down several notches because the thoughts i have in my head and what the words coming out of my mouth i want them to be the same and so i have to make it really simple so today i recorded a few new videos on my website and i said this jiu-jitsu is fun but it doesn't feel good yeah yoga isn't really fun but it feels so good and that's Mm. why they complement yoga feels nice but it's not exhilarating and fun and you don't laugh while you do yoga, but it, you can feel that this is good for me. Yes. Jiu-jitsu feels terrible, but it's so much fun. Right. So I'm going to get to that in a second. There's one more question about your sort of transition into yoga that I want to ask you about. And then I want to get to what the lead of this was. You're a guy teaching guys. 
So I want to get to there and, and have this conversation go into your website and, and training Brazilian jiu-jitsu people to do yoga. But I have one more question for you, which is you had engaged with and you had identified yourself as a competitor, right? Because judo and jujitsu are competitive and you have tournaments. Yoga is very different. Yoga doesn't have overt competition, right? I mean, there's subtle competition, but it doesn't have overt competition. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is, did you experience any type of relief coming to a physical discipline? The yoga is not just physical discipline, but did you experience any relief to your ego or relief to your mindset or any sense of freedom is starting to do a, a physical thing that's obviously not just physical, but starting to do yoga, did you experience some relief getting to step away from the mat, from getting to step away from an overtly competitive environment? It felt really good to step out of the martial arts environment for a while because, not because of the competitive environment, because it's actually the opposite in jiu-jitsu. The more competitive the environment, the more you bond with your mm -hmm. friends. So mm -hmm. in that, my teacher always says that there is no competition allowed inside the academy. We are family and we fight others, but even though we fight them, we're not competitive with them in a way where we trash talk or disrespect sure. them. Really try to be one big family. But it was really nice to step out of the jiu-jitsu bubble for a while because I was doing it wrong. Mm. I was fighting myself. I wasn't really part of the team. And getting into yoga where the goal was not to win and excel and become super proficient at things, the goal for me was to feel better and be healthy. So that was super, that was really, really good for me to step out of it. And in yoga, it was just about getting better and feeling good, not about showing the world how tough I was. So has that stayed? Has that permeated? So let me ask you a question, which is, do you deal with loss in a competition? Or do you deal with, yeah, we'll just say loss. We'll keep it that simple. Do you deal with loss better since you have included yoga? Like if you go to a tournament and you make a mistake and you don't win the tournament or you don't place or you tap out early, is that less of a consequence to your ego and your identity that, that it once was? Do you move on quicker? Do you accept the reality quicker? Or is it the same? Like, have the teachings of yoga helped you deal with, like, still compete, but surrender to the reality and to the outcome of what occurred more easily? It's really hard to differentiate for me. To, it's hard for me to know if it is the yoga Mm -hmm. Or if it is just during to yes. get older and just having more sense. But for sure, uh, I still have a lot of ego. I still sure. secretly know I'm the top guy in the world, even though everyone beats me. <laughs> I am 
much more aware of it. Yoga has really helped me to to look at myself a bit more from the outside and actually listen to the feedback of other people. What people constantly are telling me isn't just that they're all wrong and they don't know me. They actually have good points. And I can see myself when I fight someone and I lose. It's much easier now after a few years of yoga and growing up that I wasn't good enough. It's not that I, I, I wasn't good enough at jiu-jitsu to win this fight. I can differentiate that between having no self-esteem. Uh, so right, can, right, right, right. I can be so connected to reality, if you will, that I can just see that I lost. Let's move on. Right. And that is sometimes I had uh, days like that before yoga, but I think I grew up. I'm not a grown-up by far, but I'm much more, I'm much less mature, immature now than before I started yoga. So let's now make this this step. You have a website that's really successful called Yoga for BJJ, Yoga for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. BJJ is short for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. When did you start your site and why did you start it? The site started, I think, it was the 20th of August, maybe three years ago, so three and a half years. Okay. And I started it mainly because the jiu-jitsu, the sport of jiu-jitsu lacks two things, good warm-ups mm-hmm. and cool-downs. Good warm-ups, good cool-downs. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is just running in a circle for five minutes, <laughs> doing some lame exercises stolen from other sports, just like you saw other sports on TV and you stole their warm-ups. And then you go straight into technique and hard sparring, and then you don't do anything after. So right. you have a way of easing yourself into the practice or any grounding or stretching or anything healthy afterwards. So jiu-jitsu is just a recipe for injuries. Yeah. So uh, I realized that I, I wanted to take yoga for BJJ. I wanted to find something that was relevant to jiu-jitsu because if I would go, just go to a younger class, it would be too difficult to see for me, even though it was relevant because it, it's the body and I do jiu-jitsu with my body, it was, it was too hard to appreciate as a beginner to see how a reverse trikonasana for five minutes is going to help my jiu-jitsu. It was just too hard. Even though it would have helped a lot, it was too hard to see. So when I realized that nobody else is doing it and no one else is probably going to do it, then I just have to get started myself. Even though I was new in yoga, I understood that I know a hundred times more than the average jiu-jitsu person. So I can just teach them sleeping pigeon and a squat and they will be way better off than without it. Right. So the goal wasn't to teach yoga to existing yogis. The goal was to teach yoga to existing practitioners of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a totally different thing. Yes, to people who desperately needed yoga to stay in the sport. So you started an online service-based streaming site and was the focus to provide warm-up and cool-down supplements and give people things that they weren't getting in their classes. Exactly. That's it. Okay. And then you grew in content and you grew in scale. So tell us about how many classes exist on Yoga for BJJ. I recorded six more today, and I think there are about 200 different videos on the website as of today. 
Nice. And then to to give listeners a, a sense of scale and to circle back once again to the beginning of the conversation saying, you know, you're a guy that mainly teaches guys. I think that you still feel comfortable with this. Can you let me know, let our listeners know how many subscribers Yoga for BJJ has? Today, we broke uh, 1,700 members. Uh, nice. Congratulations. So, thank you very much. And I... What's really nice is that a few months ago, maybe maybe a year ago, I installed a chat bubble on my website, a program called Intercom, uh, so where people can just leave feedback straight to into membership system. Uh, so now it's very easy for me to get feedback, so I can send out automated messages like, "Hey, I can see this is your 20th session. How is it going?" And that has been huge for Big me time. to actually get feedback on on. Uh, what videos I should post, what problems people are having. And I can also, I also get a lot of feedback from people who just, for them, it's just magic. They do three sessions and they feel like they got a brand new body. And for me, that is so motivating to keep going that some people get tremendous results in just a few sessions. You have 1,700 members. What percentage of those members would you estimate are men? I have pretty sharp data on that. And that's, it's at least 95 95 percent 90 to 95 percent yeah so there's at least 1500 men that are practicing yoga in this context that very well could not be practicing yoga in a different context right i mean we shouldn't say that there's 1500 men that are practicing yoga because of yoga for bjj and there's no way that they would ever practice yoga in any other circumstance but maybe there isn't you know what i mean like I think the reason that so many men are drawn to yoga for BJJ is because they're overtly using the yoga practice to support their primary physical discipline. And I think the other thing for it is just speaking as a man and, and knowing what it was like for me early on in my yoga practice, we're afraid of embarrassment. We're afraid of not knowing no one wants to go in front of a group and, and be in an audience and not know what to do. So, you know, it's a pretty basic psychology that most people, including especially most men, don't want to set themselves up in a physical environment where they feel unable. That's a difficult pill to swallow. So your website provides people with specific outcomes because they're trying to use yoga to benefit their body and their training. But also it's an access point probably for a lot of men that, that might not feel comfortable going into a yoga studio. Absolutely, yes. I also think price is, is uh, quite relevant because mm. people pay for their, for their jiu-jitsu subscription already and a yoga subscription at a local studio, it's quite unlikely that people live close to a yoga studio. A lot of my members are from small towns. Uh, so they would have to go to jiu-jitsu and then to a yoga studio and pay the same or even more for a yoga studio. And my subscription is about as, the same as one drop-in yoga class. So I think that's huge too. But what you're saying about, for me, it was a real smack in the face to, to go to my first yoga class. And if, it wasn't, if I wouldn't have fallen in love with a teacher, I'm not <laughs> sure I would have. I think that's the same for a lot of guys, that if you can't even touch your knees and even less touch your toes on the first training. Most people, that, that threshold is so high, that hurdle is so high, so most people just try to find something else that might 
yeah, the hurdle is too too high for them to continue, I think. I have another question about your demographics. So 1,700 members, 90 to 95% of them are men. Probably a lot of those men wouldn't be practicing in other situations. Do you have a sense of their age range? Most of my members are 30 plus. I think this is another actually really interesting data point, which is 30 is not particularly old, but 30 is not the age where most people are just beginning to use their body in some way. So 30 is a is an age where I think a lot of men, or a lot of people, but a, a lot of men, start to realize that they need to take care of themselves. You know, that injuries start to show up, mental patterns start to show up, emotional contexts start to set up, show up. And maybe we want to start to deal with our physical and our internal conflicts a little bit better. And maybe around 30, we, we start to have, we're not mature, that's for sure, but we might start to have enough maturity that we realize, okay, maybe it's time to start trying to take care of things. Yeah, you, you can be invincible until you're 20. And if you're lucky, you can be completely invincible until 30. But after that, reality is going to hit you. And I think it's also a matter of 30 is when a lot of people get the family started. And as soon as you shift your focus from yourself to someone else, you realize that if I want to be here for mm. my children, I can't be in a wheelchair when I'm four. I actually, I think that's a big uh, realization for many people that if I want to be able to play with my kids when they grow up and maybe in my grandkids, then I have to, I should have started 10 years ago, but at least I'm going to do something about it now. Yeah, absolutely. One more question about teaching on yoga for BJJ. We, we've talked a lot about the physicality. Do you, in your classes on yoga for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like is something, something I talk about, pe- talk about in class, right? Which is the psycho-emotional and the spiritual dimensions of yoga. You can either see them as implicit to the physical process, meaning you do yoga and guess what? you're going to have psycho-emotional change and development. Or you can take a different track and you can say, no, the psycho-emotional spiritual dimensions of yoga are not implicit to the physicality. And we need to try to address those or at least package those and teach our students more overtly some of the more subtle, nuanced, philosophical, spiritual dimensions of yoga. So obviously, this is... Yoga for BJJ and yoga is also a physical discipline, and we've talked about the physicality. But do you ever overtly, I don't want to say spirituality necessarily, but do you either address the spiritual dimensions of yoga or even just the way I think about it, which is the human dimensions of yoga, the non-physical human dimensions of yoga? Do you talk about ego? Do you talk about not pushing it? Do you talk about listening to your body? Like, do you give signaling in the classes that yoga is not just about going further, working harder, getting better, that there's other layers to this tradition. Yes, I try absolutely to to get some part. I'm not going to say the word spirituality either, even though I just did. But I think yoga, pure physical yoga, is like food without salt. Mm. It's bland. And uh, you can feel that something is missing. If you just, uh, it's not stretching for BJJ. I try to teach yoga for BJJ. 
And I only teach the little yoga that I myself understand after six years of practice. So I don't take on a role and I don't try to speak about concepts that I don't myself think about a lot. And for sure, ego is something I have to talk about all the time because my clientele, my members are pushers. Like they love to push themselves to training five days a week. And when they come to yoga, they think that, okay, I'm going to, they don't even think about it. They just adapt the same mindset. If I want to get more flexible, I'm going to push myself to get more flexible. So that's a constant battle between yeah. me and my members. Try to make them back off and breathe and slow down and relax and do two more times instead of just staying in and, and pushing deeper. So that's a constant battle. But I try to stay really shallow and just just talk about breathing because I think physical yoga practice, the, the deeper dimensions are not implicit. I, I'm on that side. But you cannot, I don't think you can breathe deep and relax your face without sensing something deeper. I think breath, if you want to use the word spirituality, I think it's implicit in breathing. So I try to breathing deep and relaxing and letting go I think is that I don't try to go deeper than that because I don't go deeper than that. I'm not trying to be pretentious and pretend that I I'm deeper than I am because for me it goes as deep as trying to slow down, breathe uh, and relax. Uh, and if you do it in a pose, you get double benefits. You get mental benefits and physical benefits. I'm going to ask one more question and then uh, and then we'll say goodbye. Which is. So you've been involved in the judo community. You've been involved in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. You've been involved in the yoga community. So you've seen parallels and you've seen discrepancy from community to community. And the majority of our listeners are primarily in the yoga community. So what I'm curious about to you is we want the world to learn yoga, but is there anything that different communities can teach yogis? Like, are there some things that you've experienced in Brazilian jiu-jitsu culture or community that you feel like us as yoga practitioners would be well served to adopt? Yeah, there is one thing that I see over and over again. I've been around uh, a few countries to uh, practice yoga. And on the internet, you can see it even more clearly. In jiu-jitsu, we have, it's a very obvious hierarchy that people who have trained longer and have higher grades, they kick your ass. Right. And they have belts that tell you exactly where they are in the hierarchy. Belts and champion titles. So you know who's top dog and who's bottom feeders. And it's not like the Indian caste system where you look down on the bad ones and look up mm -hmm. the ones. There are, of course, cases, but I'm speaking generally here, we... We try to respect each other. It doesn't matter where you are on the scale. And there is, a, there is a scale, and that makes it easier to relate to. And I think the yoga community struggles with this because there is no set hierarchy. Everyone is. We say namaste that we were all on the same level. But then again, we're modern human beings, and we compare it, uh, ourselves to each other. And there is a lot of subtle competition. If we, I'm not going to go too deep in it, but online you can see people copying each other and competing with each other. It's so obvious when you're an outside, but even if you compete with 
your yogi pairs about more followers or or more people in your class or whatever it is you're not supposed to do it and everybody knows you can't really do it because it's not yogic enough you so you try to kind of smooth it over with a with some quote or something that when you come from another community and you see the yoga community from the outside it's like you don't really have to care so much about what everyone else is doing and you don't have to compete with them and and try to out-yogi everyone else. It's not like just because you happen to live closer to one certain yoga studio of one style and you took your teacher training there, it's not like you have to act like that is the the royal way or, or just because you made a choice doesn't mean everyone else made a bad one. And this one I see a lot it can be spiritual yoga versus handstand yoga. It can be this teacher versus that teacher. And even though I think the yoga community could could ease off a little bit on being so competitive, and if you're competitive, at least be realize that you're competitive and, and embrace it instead of trying to smooth it over with hypo- hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. This is it's this is difficult to have a conversation around, but. Just like what you said, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up and keep it simple, which is it's interesting to me when I go train, it's interesting to me that in some ways it's less competitive because it's overtly competitive. Like there's a clear hierarchy. And not only is there a clear hierarchy, but there is also the opportunity to te- to overtly test your skills against the other people in the room for at least 30 minutes. So through experience, you actually know where you fit in that community. And everyone from the top dog to the newest student is completely embraced as part of that community because everyone knows their role. And in some ways in yoga, because it's not competitive, because there's not an overt forum to display a hierarchy. And that and that doesn't even work, right? There is no hierarchy in yoga because it is not a hierarchical thing. It's not a competition. But as people dealing with our frailties, we're still sometimes trying to perform, trying to show up, trying to do well. And that can lead to some competition under the surface, as opposed to competition that's out in the open. I think that's the dynamic that we get into, we're trying to get at here is that in a ranked community, because Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is ranked, in a ranked community, the competition that exists is out in the open. But sometimes in yoga, when we're competitive, because competition is not part of the discipline, but yet we can still be competitive, that competition or competitiveness is under the surface. And sometimes things that are under the surface instead of out in the open are more problematic. Exactly. There is a book, uh, you recommended it to me. It was part of the curriculum. It's called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. Yes, by Trungpa Rinpoche. Yes. When I read that book, there was one thing that struck me, and that is the ego is so clever. Oh, the ego is so clever. Yeah, the worst position you can put yourself in is thinking that you don't have an ego or that your ego is not very strong, because that's 
probably when it's as the strongest. So if you pretend like you're not competing, you are probably the most competitive of all people. And just because you're, you're doing yoga doesn't mean that your ego automatically gets weak. I think yoga could even strengthen the ego if you're not aware of it. There's a lot of teachings even in the traditional Hatha yoga texts that say, that essentially warn against this, that say yoga misapplied, yoga misunderstood is going to create greater neurosis. It's going to create greater problems and it's going to strengthen the ego. So absolutely. I mean, this is not, we weren't the first, first people to figure this out, but yeah, I think that that, that the way that Rinpoche writes about that, he says exactly what you said. He says, look, the ego's really clever. He calls it raw and rugged. And he says the ego's raw and rugged and it's not going to be sublimated. And so you have to deal with it. You have to relate to it. You have to understand it and you have to work with it instead of pretending that it doesn't exist. And when you're in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it exists. It's on the surface. It's right there. So you can't pretend that it doesn't exist. You have to work with it and, res and respect how to manage it. Whereas if in yoga, if we're in denial of it, instead of trying to relate to it, then we might have a little bit more difficulty managing when it flares up. All right, Sebastian. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and for just giving us a snapshot. You know, like I had said, I, I when I was thinking about talking to you, I, I was thinking about, well, I want to do it broad. I want to talk about yoga for men. How do we use this case example to talk about how to get more men to yoga, blah, blah, blah. But I think that this is, I don't think, I know that this is a perfect case example, a perfect snapshot where there are 1,700 guys that are practicing yoga and who are going through the various dimensions of yoga that might not otherwise if it weren't for the service that you provide and the, the inspiration that you provide. So thanks for coming on and thanks for doing this. And also, you know, not to be overly presumptuous, but I, I know a lot of the listeners of this podcast are women. And I want to thank you for listening to a couple of guys talking about a couple of guys doing and yoga and relating to also this little snapshot of getting a, a handful of guys in the yoga room that might not otherwise be in the yoga room and and also to taking the time to try to understand and, and hear about a little bit about what makes us tick and, and what makes us thrive. It's important that that everyone understands this little snapshot of modern yoga. So thanks again, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for letting us into your uh, community. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. You can find show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 47. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on whichever app you listen to your podcasts on and leave an iTunes review. I have just put some instructions on the website to make it easier for you to figure out how to do that. You can go to jasonyoga.com slash subscribe or jasonyoga.com slash review to leave a review. Until next week, enjoy your practice, everyone. <laughs>